describes in this striking detailed prophecy what happens when Jesus arrives. Not only when he arrived to the earth, that is part of it, but also when he arrives in your life personally as a believer. Verses three through six say, strengthen the weak hands. Everybody with weak hands, this is a promise for you. Strengthen the weak hands. When Jesus comes into your life, he brings strength. And make firm the feeble knees. He's speaking even to people who are elderly at this point. He's, he's saying this will not just affect those in the prime of their life or those in the youth of their life. But Jesus Christ coming will make an impact on the energy, the vitality, and the strength even of people who are advancing in age. He said, say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come with vengeance. Vengeance, vengeance to who? Vengeance on what? Vengeance on the curse of sin and its father, Satan. Vengeance on your enemy who has afflicted you and attacked you all of your life. With the recompense of God, he will come and he will save you then. When he comes, this is the announcement. This is what Isaiah says to look for. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer. And the tongue of the dumb will sing. And when Jesus came into the world and began his ministry, this ancient prophecy began to be fulfilled, folks, in order. Because first, he opened the eyes of the blind man. And then chronologically, he unstopped the deaf ears of a deaf man. Then chronologically, he healed a lame man. And the man started jumping. And then he touched the tongue of a mute person. And they began to speak. And what I want to bring out first in the text is, whether you're studying Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, or whether you're looking at the ancient writings of the Old Testament, or whether you're just a believer that has a need today, you need to know something that the Old Testament, the New Testament, and God the Holy Spirit wants to say even now, and they're all in unity. Jesus always has been and always will be a miracle worker. Not just a religious teacher, not just the savior of your soul in this ethereal sense, in this mystical spiritual sense, but he is a miracle worker for the afflictions that you go through in this life. And I, I can't even read that this in order. He said the blind eye, when Jesus comes, you'll know it because the blind eyes will be open. The deaf ears will be unstopped. The lame are going to be healed and they're going to jump. And the, the tongue of the mute is going to speak. Can't even read that without thinking about my son, Levi. Many of you know when he was born, he was born at 24 weeks, uh, drastically premature. He weighed uh, one pound and 10 ounces and uh, way too small, way too underdeveloped, just, just completely broken. He was born broken in so many ways. And uh, initially, they came in and they tried to get my wife and I to sign a DNR because they knew he was going to be born. They knew he was going to be born way too early. And they, they, they came in and they, they communicated to us and they said, look, and it's like I remember it just like it was yesterday. It went down the list. 
with his condition, with the circumstances he's being born with, he's going to be very possibly blind, deaf, cripple, and unable to speak. Okay. That's what you're, you're looking at. And they said it would be merciful and a good decision for loving parents to not bring someone into this world and force them to live under those conditions. And I tell you what, uh, you know, you may gasp in your seat, but when you're sitting there and you've got an expert telling you, do you really want your child to be born blind, deaf, dumb, and crippled and have to live that way all of their life? You're, you're basically birthing them into a prison of pain. And if you were a good father and you were thoughtful, you'd sign this piece of paper so that they don't have to go through that. They don't have to live through that. And I'll tell you what, I've been pro-life all my life. I believe what the word of God says about life. But in that moment, I, I, was, I was strongly thinking about it and considering it because I didn't know, number one, if I wanted to subject him to that kind of life. And number two, I didn't know if I had the grace and the inner capacity and strength to care for someone that was in that condition. And so we sat and we weighed it and we prayed about it. And God gave us strength and, and we, boy, in those times, you really got to dig deep into your convictions, the things you, you believe really deep about God. And we said, no, we're not going to sign it. If he comes out, try to help him live. Do everything you can to try to help him live. And then even after that, uh, born in that kind of state, no immune system really to speak of, he contracted bacterial meningitis, which if you Google it, uh, it was in his spinal cord. And if you Google it, the, the top... Uh, Results of that and symptoms of that uh, lead to blindness, being deaf, being crippled, and being mute. So like systematically, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, the devil was speaking to me. Blind, deaf, crippled, mute. Blind, deaf, crippled, mute. Over and over again. Blind, deaf, crippled, mute. But Jesus came. Listen, 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 listen. Jesus came into our circumstance. And when he came into our circumstance, he did the thing Isaiah said he would do in Isaiah 35. The eyes of the blind were open. The ears of the deaf were unstopped. The crippled boy was made strong and he's running and leaping like a deer. If you've ever seen him, you know what I'm talking about. And the tongue. And that was the last one. That was the last one we got. That was the one I was worried about the most. Because we took him, that boy, to therapy for years. Best therapist money can buy. And we weren't seeing any change. And it just seemed like 
because of his brain injury and that speech center of the brain. It just seemed like those words were never going to come. It seemed like that he had everything else going. I actually told God one day, I said, I feel bad even asking you to do this last one because you did all these other ones. And, and it was just a faith walk. But over time, God gave that boy his words and loosed his tongue. And listen, it was systematic. Blind eyes, deaf ears, cripple, and tongue, mute. And God did every single one of them. Okay, so Isaiah is saying in the Old Testament, you watch when the Messiah comes. You watch when the living God manifested in flesh comes into the world and into your life. He'll go seeking anything that's blind. He'll go seeking anything that's deaf. He'll go seeking anything that's crippled. He'll go seeking anything that's mute. And he will bring miracles to those areas. And you'll know it when you see blind eyes open. You'll know it when you see deaf ears unstopped. You'll know it when you see the lame leap like a deer. You'll know it when you see people that should be mute opening up their mouth and speaking. And I want to tell you to build your faith. If you've got a mountain of affliction in front of you, if you are sick in your body, if you have a need that mankind and all of their wisdom cannot meet, we still have a God that is able to do exceeding abundantly and above all we can ask or think. We still serve a God who works miracles, who does things that science cannot explain. We still serve a God that will prove to be everything the scripture said that he was and you shouldn't come to church if you don't believe he's able you shouldn't keep going through the motions if you don't believe he can you should never resign yourself to a situation or a circumstance like that God doesn't have the power to do it I'm a living witness that he is able whatever you're going through he's able wherever you're hurting he's able whatever you can't see or can't hear or can't speak to God is able He's a miracle worker. Touch somebody and tell them he's a miracle worker. Now, everybody's not a witness. Everybody doesn't have a story, but there's a few of us that are in the seats that got a story just like mine. You can go back in your mind to a place where you needed God to move in a supernatural way. You can go back in your mind to a place where man's hands couldn't fix it and man's mind couldn't solve it. And you fell on your knees and you called on Jesus. And when he came into your your situation. He came in just like the gospel said he would. He came in just like Isaiah said he would. And he did powerful things. Never let go of the doctrinal truth that Jesus is a miracle worker. Now you can study your Bible and you can learn Greek and you can learn Hebrew and you can learn all of the theological points and still walk around with no faith that God is able to move in your situation. So I wanted to start this little lesson and before I get into the theology of it, I want to stand up and tell you he's a miracle worker. It may sound a little storefront, little country, little old school, but I want to tell somebody Jesus is a miracle 
miracle worker. If you're sick, he will be your healer and your healing. If you're in legal trouble, he'll be your lawyer and your counselor. It, whatever it is that you need, he will be the miracle worker in your life. I've seen it with my own eyes. And I want to tell you that you don't have to have big faith to see miracles. I walked into that hospital with a bucket size full of faith. When he asked me to sign that DNR, I had nothing but a little mustard seed left. But if you have faith, Jesus said, as the grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea and it will obey you. So one more time for somebody that's got a mountain that won't move, a mountain medicine won't move, a mountain in your marriage that counseling won't move, a mountain with your children that education and raising won't move, a mountain in your health that won't move. Jesus is a miracle worker. Hear it with your spirit. Hear it deep down in your bones. Hear it roar in your mind. The next time the enemy tells you there is no options, Jesus is a miracle worker. I'm not trying to preach. I got a long assignment, but I need somebody who knows he's a miracle worker to get up and testify to somebody else. Tell him, say, neighbor. No, tell him, say, neighbor. I ain't got time for my whole story, but just trust me, he's a miracle worker. Rebecca, is he a miracle worker? He's a miracle worker. He's a miracle worker. Dale, is he a miracle worker? He's a miracle worker. Story after story, person after person, testimony after testimony. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is a miracle worker. the miracle worker glorify the miracle worker clap your hands to the miracle worker raise your hands to the miracle worker lift your voice and shout thank you to the miracle the miracle worker the miracle worker the miracle worker a miracle worker. A miracle worker. Miracle worker. Miracle worker. Now, because I didn't sign that DNR, they tried every surgery, every experimental thing. They brought the medical students in and they actually videoed and taught a class on uh, what was the kind of brain surgery you had? with a laser okay they, they didn't do the yeah the, the the they didn't use a scalpel they used a laser for his brain surgery and they brought the 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 kids in from the medical school to watch and learn how to do this brain surgery it's the first of those type of brain surgeries that's ever been done in san antonio you understand what i'm saying and then he had to have a whole other, he was in the neonatal ICU for six months. You want to know how expensive it is? Go spend one night in the emergency room and then get the bill. You will be shocked. Well, well, it was six months, $3 million of medical debt. 
And in the process, my wife also had some stuff wrong. She had to have some surgery. I was hurting financially. Now, I was thankful for the miracle, but I was hurting financially. Have you ever been thankful for a miracle, but you're still hurting in another area? But you know what I found out? Not only is Jesus a healer of your body, but God is a blesser and a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And within three months, God paid off $3 million of medical debt for me, turned my credit upside down, blessed my socks off. He's a miracle worker. So you may not have a physical need this morning. If you got a financial need, God is the God that turns a wasteland into a beautiful blossoming rose is what Isaiah said. He's, he's a miracle worker. Okay, now let's deal with some stuff. Verse 8 in the text says, a highway. Everybody say highway. Everybody say it again. Highway shall be there and a road. A highway and a road. Everybody say a highway and a road. Now, I forgot to tell you my title. The, the title of this talk is A Road for the Weary. Okay? He says, here, here, there's going to be another thing that happens when Jesus comes. There's going to be something else that goes on when Jesus steps onto the scene. He said, there's going to be a highway and a road. Put that back up there if you can. I want them to see that. Isaiah 35, verse 8. I, I just want you to, a highway shall be there and a road. And it shall be called the highway of holiness. Yeah, the highway of holiness. Say that with me if you don't mind. The highway of holiness. And the unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Let me stop here and parenthetically insert, you've got to be so careful who you let preach and teach the Bible to you. I heard a message from this chapter that a preacher preached, and the title of it was Holiness or Hell? In other words, be holy or go to hell. And, and he got up and was telling everybody and calling out all these issues that people had. And if you have any of these issues, you're going like straight to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200 straight to hell. And, and he was talking about holiness. And so he was saying, you know, uh, women got to dress holy and men got to dress and conduct themselves holy. And, and uh, so in, in, their, in his view, you know, it's unholy for men to have a, a beard or a goatee. It's unholy to wear a short sleeve shirt like I'm wearing right now. It's unholy for ladies to cut their hair or wear any makeup. And, and just everything's unholy, 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 unholy. And he said... God brings a highway of holiness, and if you want to get to God, you got to walk the highway of holy living in order to receive anything from the Lord. And, you know, I, I had a few issues at the time, and I listened to that. I just felt like crawling up under a tree somewhere and dying, you know? I guess you ain't never heard any preaching like that that made you feel condemned and worthless and useless and... Isn't that good for you? But he's not talking about a highway for the holy. He's not talking about a highway that only holy people 
can walk on. He's talking about a highway and a road that is in itself holy. Okay. That you don't get holy to walk on the road. You have to walk on the road to get holy. Okay. He, he's talking about a way. Okay. So what is the highway of holiness? Number one, it's a place of grace. Now, if you have an, an old paradigm of holiness, it doesn't seem that holiness and grace go together, but let me show you how it does. People who are conscious of their failures have a hard time with the scriptures in the Bible that command us to be holy. People that are conscious of your own wickedness and the things that your heart convicts you of and the Holy Spirit convicts you of, it's hard for you to have the consciousness of that and understand and walk in holiness at the same time. But look at the next part of the verse. He says, whoever walks it, even a fool can walk it and not go astray. Put Isaiah 35, verse 8 back up there. Look at that. Whoever walks the road. Notice that whoever. It's for whoever. Then... I know he's not telling me I have to be perfect because he said, whoever walks the road, even if you're a fool walking on this road, you can't go astray. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that. Oh, you missed a good place to give God a thank you. No, maybe you responded like that because nobody in here has ever been a fool. I've been... A sure enough fool before. I've done some stuff and then got away from it a little bit and looked back at it and wondered why in the world you're going to leave me up here by myself like you ain't never done something that shocked you. Where's all the people that you just say, I I've done some foolish stuff? Okay. What's beautiful about it, he says, this highway is for fools too. This highway is for people that make dumb choices too. This highway is for people that couldn't get it right too. Even a fool, if they get into this highway, they cannot go astray. Because the highway isn't for the holy. The highway is holy. It's a, it's a high, but, but minimize the high for a second. It's a high way. Now, look at John 14, 4 through 6. John chapter 14, verses 4 through 6. Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he said, And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? I love Thomas. He's very analytical, and Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the highway of holiness is a person. The highway of holiness is Jesus Christ. Isaiah was saying, not just a Messiah is coming, 
not just a person is coming, not just a healer is coming, but a way is coming, a way so true that even a fool, if you mess around and get in that way, a fool, somebody trying to mess it up, a fool cannot go astray as long as they're in the way. That's beautiful. Well, what about that part that says that the unclean can't walk on it? Because it does say that. The unclean can't walk on it. I want you to ask yourself a question. Don't answer it. Say, am I unclean? Now, to answer that, let's consider that the Holy Spirit of God was a promise God originally made to Abraham and his descendants. It was that greatest blessing of Abraham, that greatest promise that one day the Holy Spirit was going to come. Okay. Galatians 3 talks about this. He says uh, that we have received, if we are the seed, if we're Christ, we're Abraham's seed and heirs to the promise. He goes on to talk about what that big capital letters, the promise is that we could receive the spirit through faith. Okay. So the the big promise and the blessing of Abraham is the Holy Spirit. But when Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit fell first and was received first by the Jews, people who were natural descendants of Abraham, because they were the ones to whom the promise was originally given. God had made a covenant promise, a contract with Abraham to visit his descendants and give them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit and baptized 120 Jewish believers on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Now, the Jews, as a race and as a religion, had been used to, they had been steeped in this idea that all Gentiles were unclean. And if you go back and research some of the lifestyle of Gentiles, they were unclean. Having orgies, having no kind of uh, moral standard, having uh, no no kind of um, guardrails or or character in their life. Because they didn't have a holy book. They didn't have a, a religion. They didn't have a God who was leading them and guiding them into truth. So they just lived like crazy and they lived after the affections of the flesh and the desires of the mind. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter two. So Peter was shocked after the Holy Spirit had come and had filled the Jews. Peter was shocked when one day God told him to go to a Gentile's house named Cornelius. And Peter didn't want to go. If a Jew was in a market and, and a, a Gentile touched a, a piece of fruit or a vegetable or something, the Jew couldn't touch it. If, if a Gentile walked by and touched a plate, the Jew would have to break the plate according to the law because they were considered unclean. And so God sends Peter to Cornelius, this Gentile's house. No training, no covenants with God, no background, no Ten Commandments, no law to follow. He comes to Cornelius' house, and God gives him a dream. God gives Peter a dream, and there's a sheet floating down from heaven by four corners. And inside the sheet are all kind of animals. You got pigs in there. You got shellfish in there. You got a whole bunch of stuff in there that the Old Testament law had labeled and called unclean. 
But then Peter hears a voice from heaven that says, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter answers that voice. Look at Acts chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Acts chapter 10. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Hold on. Acts 10, 28. Take me there a few verses later. Acts 10, 28. And Peter's talking. He said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Take me to Acts 15, 8 through 9. Acts 15, 8 through 9. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them, them being the Gentiles, non-Jews. God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. That word purifying means cleansing. Everybody say cleansing. How, how were they cleansed? Purifying their hearts by faith. And purifying means cleansing. Come on. Purifying means cleansing. Faith in Jesus actively takes you out of the classification of the unclean and puts you in the, classif the classification of the clean. You don't have to be clean for God to call you clean. Okay? You don't have to be righteous for God to call you righteous. Okay. You become the righteousness of God. But before you ever became it, it was given to you by faith in Jesus Christ. So when we asked ourselves the question a few moments ago, considering all I've done, all the sins I've committed, all the brokenness in my life, considering the wasteland that I've allowed my past to become, considering everything going on with me, am I unclean? If you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the answer is a resounding no. You are purified. You are cleansed by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you don't get clean. Oh, I got to stop doing all this. I got to stop doing all this so I can get on the road. You don't get clean to get on the road. You get clean once you get on. On the road. Number two, the highway of holiness is a place of safety. By safety here, I mean divine protection protected by the hand of God himself. Ver look what verse 9 says about the highway. No lion shall be there. Lions are not permitted on the road. Not when you're walking the highway. Lions are not permitted on the road, nor any ravenous beast shall go upon it. In other words, I will not allow predators 
to step onto this road. If you're walking this road called the way of Jesus Christ, untimely death cannot take you. Pestilence, sickness, and disease cannot overwhelm you or destroy you. You cannot die until it's your appointed time by God to die. You cannot die unless it's been signed off in the purpose of God if you are on the highway. But be careful because no predator is authorized on the road, but they're right there on the side. Wishing, hoping, and praying that you'll step off of the road. The enemy of your soul will constantly try to distract you and lure you away from the road. And the moment you stray off the road, you are in Satan's territory. Okay. And you are in danger. Okay. There are people that believe in Jesus and that love Jesus. They love God. They said the sinner's prayer. They've been baptized. But they are going through tremendous attacks in their life that God never intended for them to go through. Why? Got off the road. You know you can struggle all your way to heaven if you want to. You can make it into heaven by the skin of your teeth and hate every second of your life. If you want, you can, you can live in a constant state of warfare your entire life if you want to. Or you can walk the road. There's a dangerous, dangerous wind blowing in our nation right now. It's a wind of false doctrine. Cooked in a smoldering cauldron of lies and unleashed by the devil himself called false doctrine with the intent to take people's eyes and faith off of Jesus Christ and his word and his commandments. There's a lie going forth, and it's the oldest lie in the book, literally. The lie is trying to convince you that God didn't mean what he said in his word. God didn't mean what he said. In fact, if you search this translation and this translation, and then you look at this dispensation and where we are now versus where we were then, God didn't really mean what he said in plain black and white in his word. That's the same lie Satan told Eve. Hey, hey, you want some of this fruit? Can't have none of that fruit. God said not to eat the fruit. God didn't say you're going to die. God didn't say not to eat the fruit. He just don't want you to become his wife. See, if you understood this new revelation I got, Eve... Stare at me if you want to. I don't care. I'll be here next Sunday. If, if you understood this new revelation I've got, Eve, you would understand that God didn't really mean what he said. He meant what I'm saying that he. That's dangerous. Scripture has to be interpreted by and through Scripture. That means as your pastor, I can't get up in here and pull a scripture out of the Bible and then give you what Paul would call a private interpretation. Scripture is interpreted in concert with other scriptures and out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. That's talking about doctrinal belief system. 
And let me tell you, we got bishops in the body of Christ going to psychics and mediums, getting on Facebook, talking about it, saying, I'm still a bishop in the Lord's church and I'm still going to preach Jesus. But I went and conjured my great granddaddy and I feel so much better to have so much more peace about it. That's an abomination. That's a, that's a demon called a familiar spirit. That ain't your granddaddy. Okay. It, there's, there's a blurred line of misconception and misappropriation and pure and, and all out false teaching. We got crazy hyper grace being taught that you can, you can, uh, to completely abuse people and live like the devil and on your deathbed, just because of grace, blink your eyes three times and say Jesus and go to heaven. That's a lie. There, there is something called fruit in your life. You can't take it away. What Jesus said, he said, you will know them by their fruits. And I don't care if you dance, speak in tongues, run all over the church or preach out of the Bible. If there's no fruit in your life, there's no root. And if there's no root, you ain't really saved. There's a lot of people say they have it. that don't have it. There's a lot of people say they believe it. They don't really believe it because if you really believed it at some point, there would be fruit to correspond with what you communicate. Okay. So, so why are these lies coming? Why are they coming from some of our most popular Bible teachers? Why are they coming from bishops and people high elevated in the church? Satan is bringing, it's the oldest trick in the book. He's got his eye on the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. God's woman, just like Adam's woman was focused on in the garden. God's woman is being focused on today and lies are being told to the body of Christ. The scripture is being wretched out of context and people are being told and made to believe a lie. And what will happen if you believe the lie is you step off the road. Your life is a manifestation of the truths you believe or the lies you believe. And there's nothing more dangerous than believing a lie. And, and when you believe a lie, you step positionally off the highway, off the road. And when you do that, you are in Satan's territory. Okay. In first Peter five, eight, he says that your adversary, don't ever forget this. I'm covered by the grace of God. Yeah, but the apostle Peter said, you got an adversary. The apostle Paul said a, a, a messenger from Satan came to attack him, to buffet him. The word buffet means to physically afflict. You have an adversary. He says, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Where, where is he seeking? By the side of the road. looking at you and all them services you're missing all that time you're going in between receiving the word of God, all that time you're going without being connected to your faith community and outside of the presence of God. He's walking by the side of the road. Every false teaching you believe he's walking by the side of the road. Every time you fail to do what you know in your heart, the Holy Spirit convicted you to do. The devil is walking by the side of the road. He ain't allowed on the road, but he patrols the side. And when chaos erupts, yeah. 
because you got off the road. It's not God's fault. I get so sick of people calling and complaining, pouting on God, when the truth of the matter is God didn't fail you. You got off. So stay on the road. That's my message. Stay on the road. Don't see how close to the side of the road you can get and not get devoured. Stay on the road. Don't see how much sin you can commit before you backslide. Stay on the road. Give God a praise. I feel, I feel good about that. Number three. Number three. It's a place of joy. Isaiah 35, 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return. That, that's a description of you. You are the ransomed of the Lord. Why? Because he paid a ransom to get you back from the clutches of sin and death and Satan himself. He paid the ransom. Peter said, you have been bought with a price, not of silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You have been ransomed. You are not your own. He, you were a hostage, and he paid the ransom to take you back from the enemy. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everybody say singing. singing. I say it again. Singing with everlasting joy on their heads and they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away walking this road causes joy to be applied to your head joy to be applied to your thinking joy to be applied to your mind i didn't say happiness I said joy because happiness is contingent on happenstances and when the happenstances of your circumstances go the way you want you are happy when they do not go the way you want you are sad but he didn't say nothing about happiness he said joy okay and joy is something that a believer can walk in that is totally oxymoronic it makes no sense it's two contradicting realities operating in the same person only a Christian walking on the road knows what it's like to be going through horrible circumstances and yet at the same time be filled with joy and I I want to tell you the enemy of your soul is always trying to seduce you into placing the anchor of your joy in things other than God and in things other than the fact that you have been cleansed you've been saved let me ask you something what is the motivation the energy the power and the force of the Christian song what is the motivation what causes the song to swell up in us and come out i'm not talking about when the praise and worship leader screaming at you telling you to sing along i'm talking about when you're walking around and you're so full of something on the inside a song just starts coming up out of you what is the motivation for the christian song the motivation for the christian song is that we have been cleansed from our sin for given for our wrongdoing and accepted and saved by God Almighty. That's the root system of our song. That's the energy. It's called joy. And the devil wants you to put the anchor of your joy in the things that happen to you in your life. Because if you put your anchor of joy into circumstances, the enemy can fight you with them. 
life you put your anchor of joy into, I got a new car. The enemy can make sure somebody slashes your tires. You put your anchor of joy in that marriage, I promise that marriage will be attacked. You put your anchor of your joy in your children, I promise you, your children will disappoint you and take you all the way down to the floor. You put your anchor of joy in money, it'll take wings and fly away. But the enemy always wants you to take your joy and put it in something that he can affect. But the beautiful thing about taking your joy as an anchor and having it down in the fact that Jesus saved you and washed you with his blood and cleaned you up means that's the one thing the enemy cannot put his hands on. I have joy this morning because my soul's been saved. My sins have been forgiven. My past has been washed. Oh, is there anybody that knows how to praise God because you're saved? Got some bills I can't pay, but I got joy that I'm saved. Got some pain in my body, but I got joy that I'm saved. Everything ain't working out right in the family, but I got joy that I'm saved. And this joy that I have, my circumstances didn't give it to me. The world didn't give it to me. People didn't give it to me. My child didn't give it to me. My money didn't give it to me. And so none of those things can take it. Give God a praise in this church right now. Let the joyful people of God give him a praise. Praise for salvation. Praise for deliverance. Praise that your soul. Oh, hallelujah. 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 I've been depressed all week long. Today's the first day in six days that I could stand up straight. I tried three times to cancel me preaching this service and get somebody else in here. My back has been full of so much pain. I've been wanting to puke all week long. The medicine won't help. The stretching won't help. Physical therapy won't help. I've been in a total mess. Ain't been able to take care of my kids right. Ain't been able to do the stuff around the house I need to do. I have been a mess. But when my foot hit the platform this Sunday morning and I started to read the text, as sad as I've been, as hurt as I've been, as broken as I've been, I was filled with an unspeakable joy. You know why? My back sure hurts, but my soul is saved. I'm going to heaven. I'm blood-bought. I belong to God. My past can't curse me. The devil can't have me. I got joy. You don't hear what I'm saying. Joy, 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 joy. Joy a circumstance can't take out of you. Joy a sickness can't take out of you. Joy losing a loved one can't take out of you. Joy when they repossess the car. Joy when the house catches on fire. Joy. He said, the joy will be on their heads. You know what that means? That means no matter what I got going on in my life, I got joy on my mind. I got joy on my mind.
And if you got joy, he said, your song becomes powerful. You don't hear this preacher. I said, it, there's a difference in singing and then singing with joy. You don't hear this preacher. I said, there's a difference in singing and then singing up under a motivation of joy. He said, when you sing up under a motivation of joy in verse 10, that sorrow and sighing will flee from you. Now, there's a lot of sorrows in life. And I, I don't know if you're this kind of way. I'm the kind of person when I'm really going through something, I just walk around. And I used to be a real proficient, excellent cusser. Again, I'm the only one. That's all right. That's all right. But I can string, I can string them together real good. Poetic even. And when I started trying to restrain my mouth, I noticed that when I used to would just let a, a, a good line fly. Any sires in the room? Just walking around all week last week, looking at situations in your life. He said, when you take that joy that you've been cleansed, that joy that you're no longer unclean. He said, when you take that joy and you put a song in your mouth with it, he said, it will cause sorrow and sighing to flee from you. Look at the word clean. Always remember this. This is your joy. Look at the word clean. Put the word cleansing up there. Look, look at the, the word cleansing, cleansing, cleansing. If you're clean, sing. If he made you clean and you got joy about it, then sing. Every time you remember that you're forgiven, remember that word cleansing, clean sing. If he made you clean, you got a reason to sing. If he made you clean, you got a reason to praise. If he made you clean, you got a reason to worship. And, and it's so odd because we give our song to God because of the joy we have of the freedom and the beauty and the redemption he gave to us. But it has a side effect of driving away. My singing drives away the sorrow and the sighing. Give God praise. All right. Last point. Last point. Go back to Isaiah 35, 6 and 7. That would have been a great place to close the service, wouldn't it? <laughs> But as soon as this anointing lifts and I get in my car, that back pain is coming right back. So I'm going to stay up here in the flow for just a little bit longer so I can at least get. All right. Look at verses six and seven. The lame shall leap like a deer. The tongue of the dumb sing. And watch this. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert, and the parched ground shall become a pool, the thirsty land, springs of water. Do you remember what I told you in the beginning about the wilderness, the desert? What is it? The wasteland. But it's all different types of people. 
So what he's describing here, again, I'll use the words the second time I used it, it's an oxymoron. It is oxymoronic for parched ground to be a pool, okay? Parched ground's never known what it's like to be a pool. The molecular structure of the dirt's different if it's never rained in certain places. That's why everything won't grow everywhere. Every type of plant won't grow in every type of ground. Certain ground's different. The acidity's different. The alkaline uh, status of it is different. But he's saying, the parched ground shall become a pool. Thirsty land, springs of water. He didn't say that, uh, that water will come. He's talking about a transformation. How a parched ground that's always been parched ground all of a sudden becomes a pool. Thirsty land that's always been thirsty land all of a sudden becomes a spring. And he talks about, uh, you know, the, the desert having springs in it and, and living water. Remember, when he's talking about this, this whole chapter is about what will happen to people when Jesus comes. People who are blind will see. People who are deaf will hear. People who are crippled will, will leap. People who are mute will begin to speak. And now he's talking about a refreshing spring or a water source that literally changes a thing into something that it never was before. It changes it as drastically, and there is as much of a difference between these two realities as a parched land and a pool, okay? Look at John 7, 37 through 39. On the last and great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now look at this. He who believes in me, you could also say she who believes in me. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Let me, let me break this down. Any wasteland that believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his or her heart will come rivers of living water. Any wilderness that believes in me, out of their heart will come rivers of living water. Okay. Any parched ground that believes in me, out of their heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. He was saying, when I ascend into heaven... One of the final things I do before the church age commences is I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit to come and live inside everyone who believes in me. And so you may be a wasteland, but the Holy Spirit is a river of living water. You may be dry ground, but the Holy Spirit is a stream of living water. I'm going to take something that is so unlike your reality and pair it with you so that as you're walking through the circumstances in your life, you have an inner force. You have an inner river of living water flowing in you all the time because Jesus said, I have been with you, but I shall be in you through and by the Holy Spirit. Now, if that's true, and Jesus said it's going to be given to the people that believe in Jesus, 
Why are so many Christians so dry? If they believe in Jesus, why are they so dry? Why are they only a wasteland still, only a wilderness still, only a desert still? It's because many Christians have built a dam and closed the river in. And the thing about a river is you gotta let it flow. Oh, hallelujah. You gotta let it flow. When you believe on Jesus, it's, it's like an instantaneous thing, okay? I do believe in subsequent experience theology. I do believe in that. But, but I don't believe that cancels the, the scripture that says that you cannot believe in Jesus unless the Holy Spirit of God has drawn you. That you can't even be open to the gospel unless the Holy Spirit's already been working on your heart on the inside of you, okay? And I also believe that when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, that you receive his spirit. Now, you can build a dam. You can refuse to exercise and operate in its gifts, or you can be ignorant of the spirit's gifts. But there is nothing more powerful than receiving Jesus. There is nothing more forceful and spiritual than receiving Jesus in your heart. And so I do not believe that you have to have someone lay hands on you in order to operate in the gifts of the spirit. I believe someone laying hands on you can break down the dam. I believe that's what Paul did when he found the men and, and he asked them if they had received the Holy Ghost. They said, no, he laid his hands on them. They began speaking in other tongues and operating in spiritual gifts. I don't believe Paul put uh, the spirit in there. I believe he activated and removed the dam that was there. Okay. So I believe if you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have the Holy Spirit at work in your heart already. Okay. Now I believe you can be filled and refilled. I believe you can be filled to the point of overflow. I believe, and I have seen, and I have experienced getting so full of the spirit. Imagine a container. It can be a little full, halfway full, all the way full, or it can be running over. Okay. I have experienced being so full of the spirit that you actually feel inebriated. You feel drunk. Okay. I've seen people stagger to their cars after uh, a church service where they were soaking in the presence of God and, and manifesting their spiritual gifts. I've seen it. It's happened to me. It's a real thing. Okay. But at whatever measure you are currently operating spiritually, at whatever level you are currently interacting and letting the river that's inside you flow, there can always be increase because the Bible said that the Holy Spirit was poured out on Jesus without measure. So there's no limitation to how the Holy Spirit can fill your life. If you learn to not grieve the Holy Spirit by habitually committing sin, doing things you know you're not supposed to do, doing things that you're convicted of. If you do not grieve the Holy Spirit by neglecting the things of God, neglecting the word of God and neglecting the house of God, neglecting the things God commanded you to do. If you're not grieving the spirit and you're entertaining the spirit and you're open to the spirit's activity in your life, the Holy Spirit can fill you and 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 then refill you and fill you and fill you and fill you. And you can operate in all of the spiritual gifts that we see in the New Testament. Now, your speaking 
has more to do with your feelings and your circumstances than you realize. Go to the book of James, chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. I mean, if you've ever been to SeaWorld, isn't it amazing how they can train those dolphins and tame them? Isn't it amazing how they could, could tame those, uh, what's those, those black and white whales, the huge ones? Orcas. Isn't it amazing how a, a little peon, tiny-sized band can make them orcas do whatever he wants them to do? This is what James is talking about. Every beast of the field, no matter how strong, no matter how powerful, can be tamed by the will of a man. The only thing in the world that cannot be tamed by the will of a man is your tongue. Continue. Put that back up there. James. No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly, unruly, can't be ruled, not totally, unruly evil full of deadly poison. Your speaking has more to do with your feelings and your circumstances than you realize. I wanted to say that again. Your tongue is like the rudder of the ship of your life. If things aren't going right, check your speaking. That's why one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that is so beautiful, it's not the only one, it's the one we talk about the most in church, one people are most confused about, but it's just one of them, okay? It's just one of them. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit involves God using your tongue to speak, or, or God, that was a bad way to say it, God informing and interacting through unknown tongues or a language you don't know that you're speaking, a language you never learn. Now, I want to make this very clear, very pure, so you can see all the way through it. Not every believer that's going to heaven will speak in tongues. I want to say it again, because we can get in these, in these circles and it, people can major on it, and they can major on it to the point that others feel condemned and less than. And so I want to be very careful that I say this. Not every person that believes in Jesus, soul has been saved and is redeemed and is going to heaven. Not every one of those people will speak in tongues. But speaking in tongues is available to all of those people. Some people can never get over it. Some people can never get past the foolishness of it. Some people can never get past the silliness of it, okay? And it was intended by God to be foolish to your mind and silly to your mind. Go to 1 Corinthians 14, 14. If I pray in a tongue, Paul is teaching. If I pray in a tongue, he's talking about an unknown tongue. It's like you hear people speak in tongues sometimes. That's my personal prayer language, speaking in tongues. Okay? If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. In other words, praying in tongues in the personal prayer language, was never meant for your mind to ever understand. You might as well be saying, bah, 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 
And if you need to, that's a great way to start speaking in tongues. So many times people hold back on speaking in tongues because their tongues don't sound like the real professional tongues we hear in church. A lot of times your mind gets an imprint on how your grandmama prayed in tongues or how someone you respect in the church prays in tongues on how your spouse prays in tongues. Okay. And you feel like because you're not getting that particular mode or that particular operation that you're not really getting it. Okay. And so anytime your mind gets involved in the speaking in tongues process, you're not speaking in tongues. Okay. As soon as you truly start speaking in tongues, your mind will start doing some crazy stuff. Okay. That's not real. That's stupid. You're crazy. All that stuff that your mind should be saying. Okay. Because the mind has nothing to do with it. Here's how you speak in tongues. Do you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for your sins? Have you confessed publicly and openly with your mouth that you believe God raised him from the dead? Okay. Have you asked him to save you, forgive you of your sins and come into your heart? Have you asked him to lead you by his word? Okay. Then you are a candidate for praying in the spirit. Here's how you do it. The four things you just confessed in the affirmative are the four things the apostle Paul taught as the gateways and indicators and pathways to receiving salvation from God. And it's all through Jesus Christ, through faith in him. If you do not have faith that Jesus died on the cross, if you do not have faith that God raised him from the dead, if you do not have faith that he will come and live inside your heart, if you do not have faith that he's coming back again, none of this works. Salvation is predicated by faith in what Jesus did. So you tell me you've got enough faith to believe that he died on the cross, was buried. Three days later, he got up with all power, went down into hell, took the keys away of death, hell, and the grave from Satan, then ascended into the clouds and is seated at the right hand of the Father. You got enough faith to believe that firmly, and you can't say, ah, bah, 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 bah. thank you, Jesus. I come to you today in prayer, and Lord, I ask you, Holy Spirit, within me that comes because I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I release you to begin to pray outside of me. Begin to pray from the inside to the outside. Ah, bah, 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 ta, 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 ta. If it's ba, 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 ta, 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 wa, wa, wa. Okay? If that's how it starts, okay? That's more, that's more real than you trying to copy. Or worse, or worse, and if you want to copy, do that, because that will lead to a, a, a correct place eventually. But listen, but listen, there, as long as it's an unknown tongue, it's an unknown tongue. As long as you're giving the Holy Spirit within you an opportunity to, to get in your mouth and be released in things you don't understand, and you're not supposed to understand them. It's supposed to be babble. 
It's, suppo- it's not supposed to be this refined, clear, concise thing. It's supposed to be. It's like, how did, how did a baby learn to talk? Ba-ba, da-da, ma-ma, wah-wah. Okay? It's the same thing, beginning your journey praying in the Holy Spirit. Okay, So here's how it works. The Spirit within you gives you the unction or the energy or the faith to do it. Okay, That's all that really means. The Holy Spirit does not move your mouth and move your tongue. And the Holy Spirit does not give you those weird-sounding words. The Holy Spirit doesn't do the speaking. You do the speaking in the natural as the Holy Spirit communicates to God the Father through what you're doing while your understanding is unfruitful. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So if you have to go home and you start getting in the Word of God, you read a little bit in the Word of God, then you get on your knees or prostrate on the floor and you begin to pray. Start, start every eye, start every prayer. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be the name, Jesus. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth in my life as it is in heaven. On earth in my family as it is in heaven. On earth in my marriage as it is in heaven. If heaven didn't write it, don't let me walk it today. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Thank you for yesterday, but yesterday's over. Give us this day our daily bread. Give me the revelation I need for the day I face. Give me the strength I need for the day I face. Give me the love I need for the day I face. Give me the faith I need for the day I face. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins. God, I'm a sinner. I have committed sin. Then I will go and I will list and confess my sins out loud because the scripture says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgive us our sins as we, as I forgive those who have sinned against me. Then I name everybody that I'm holding unforgiveness towards, everyone I'm angry with, everyone that hurt me, everyone that did something wrong. I speak their name out loud and I say in the name of Jesus, I forgive And then I name their name. Forgive me as I forgive those who have sinned against me. Lead me, not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. For thine is the kingdom. It all belongs to you. The power and the glory forever. Amen. Jesus, I glorify you. I begin to worship him. I praise your holy name. There is none like you. O ancient of days, who knows all things. Whose feet hewn out the mountains. Who spit out the seven seas. I worship you, God. There is none like you. None beside you. None before you. None coming after you. You alone are holy. And I worship you, Jesus. And then from there, and sometimes I feel like an ocean is coming in out of the very being of me. And sometimes I want to go put a bagel in a toaster. The ocean feeling doesn't make it more real than the bagel toasting because my understanding, my thinking, my mentality, my mind, and what I think about what I'm doing is unprofitable. It's unfruitful in that moment because now that I have prayed, I'm allowing the Holy Spirit within me to pray through my foolish babble of unknown tongues. One of my brothers here in the church, he just wrote a book and he gave me a copy of it. And one of the things on the book was this scripture that says, 
God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Okay. That, that it, it's so strange. It's so odd to think that you can kneel down in your prayer and in your devotion and get something so powerful out of just starting up. Okay. Seems so silly. And yet, if you will begin to do it with the faith that the is the Holy Spirit coming through your mouth, power will begin to form in your life. And that's what brings the rivers in a desert. The streams, the pools in parched ground. See, in my flesh, in your flesh, all of us, we're one of those categories. A wilderness, a wasteland, a desert, or a parched ground. It's four types of ground in the Old Testament. Jesus said there's four types of ground. We're all that in our flesh. But the precious Holy Spirit of God, Isaiah said, he's going to bring water. He's going to bring a river. Okay, And that river is available to each and every one of you sitting in this room. You don't need some kind of uh, some kind of moment where it where it all comes together and you understand everything. The Bible says one more scripture. Go to Luke eleven nine through thirteen. Let me help you understand this. I do not believe that a man gives you the Holy Spirit. Now, the gift of healing can come out of a man. I've, I've seen people that I laid my hands on because I have a gift from Jesus for New Testament ministry. I have an apostolic anointing, and I have spiritual gifts that reside inside my natural body. There have been sick people I have laid my hands on, and they were healed, and they got that outside of my gift. They got it. It was from God to me, through me to them. Okay, So, so, so you can get prayed for and receive healing. You can get prayed for and receive spiritual impartation. Paul talked about that. Paul said, Timothy, you got a gift of God in you that was put there by the laying on of my hands. That the gift God gave me, the rank, the, the title that God established me in has given me the authority to take certain gifts I have and put them in you, Timothy. So I want you to stir them up. Okay, You can receive a gift from a man's hands. You can receive prophecy from a man. The spirit of a prophet is subject to the prophet. If I want to prophesy, I can. I've been given that by God. Okay, You can receive that. As many of you have received prophecy from me or word of knowledge from me, word of wisdom from me, all those kind of things. I have the gift of faith, and I can impart faith to you both with my preaching and by praying for you. That's something God has authorized the ministry that I hold to do. But the Holy Spirit comes from God. Jesus said, so, so you're in the room and you say, I don't know if I have the Holy Spirit. And, and you and I would probably have to debate about that if you have salvation. You know, maybe, maybe you don't have either. I don't know. But if you're saying, I, I don't know if I have the Holy Spirit or I've never spoken in tongues and I want to, how? Well, Go back and watch the message. I just showed you how. Follow that model. But, but just to prove the correct theology of it, Jesus said, so I say to you, ask, 
and it put a big circle in your mind around it. Now, I know it's 1230 and way too long. Okay, I went way too long, but I need you to get just a little bit more energy and I need you to holler it. When we quote this verse, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. I've heard some amazing services turning the it into your blessing. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and that promotion will be open. Knock and that house will be open. Knock it. What's the it? Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Next verse. For everyone, everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Keep going. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will you give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer a scorpion? Next verse. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's the it subject of that verse. So if you want it, Ask, then seek. How do you seek? You do that same little illustration I just did up in, in here for you concerning your morning prayer or your evening prayer. Seek it. Seek it in prayer with the ba-ba-ba-ba, ta-ta-ta. Seek it. Knock. Get to the point where you demand it. God, I can't go another day. I can't go another I have to have your precious Holy Spirit and the gifts of it operating and manifesting out of me. Okay. And it's available to every single one of you. And that all came out of Isaiah chapter 35. Isn't that beautiful? Stand to your feet and give God a praise.